Welcome back to the Unexpected Story Podcast. I'm back for part two of Glenn's story. If you missed last week, you'll want to go back and listen to part one. Today, Glenn shares his heart of becoming a missionary and the things he's learned about the Lord through this journey. Here's part two of my conversation with Glenn. And I just told God, I said, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. I had what I had seen and what I had witnessed and what I had seen happen in my life and the way God had caused these people to respond to me was unlike anything I had ever seen or witnessed. And by Jeff's admission, it was different than anything he had ever seen in mission. And so I began to pray and I was shocked at my own prayer because I, I didn't think this way. I didn't plan to pray this way. I didn't, um, I haven't given it this type of thought. I, I don't know where I was at mentally, but I'm standing there in my living room and I'm praying and I said, God, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. And then with no planning, no forethought and no anything, I blurted out the words, God, if I don't go back, if I can't go back, if I can't go and do something about this, then I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't do what I've been doing. I can't live like I've been living. If you don't send me back, I no longer have any place in this world. I'm I'm lost. Uh, it was like I, I almost believed I would die if I didn't go back. And, uh, and of course, I heard once again in my heart, God spoke to me, and he seems to be a God of few words because he said the same thing he said before. I'm waiting for you in Africa. It's funny how the first time you hear something, you think it's one thing, and the second time you hear something, you know it's another thing. And so uh, within a few hours, I called Jeff and I told him, I said, I'm, uh, I'm going back to Africa. And uh, I knew that it wasn't for another visit, and I knew it wasn't for another short-term mission trip. I knew that I belonged in Africa, that I no longer belonged here. Uh, you know, we say silly, we say things, they're not silly things, they're good things. You know, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Um, but um, I came to the place to where I understood that's where I belonged. Mm. That's where God wants me, and that's where. I will be and do all that I was created to be and do. And that's where uh, that's where life is for me now. And uh, I, my mother doesn't like this. I'm sure my dad doesn't either. And, but I, I tell people all the time, I, I live in Africa now and I visit America. Mm. Uh, I've been adopted by the Wameru tribe. I'm considered a friend of the village, which is actually an official title. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm so much part of the community there. I mean, and I say this with all humility, but I mean, 
having been there and done what God's called me to do, I mean, Dr. Bronner has since told me that the weird thing about me being a missionary that he says he's not seen before, he says a lot of us go over and we're missionaries, but all our friends are other missionaries. Mm -hmm. He says, but you go over there and your friends are these Africans and your family is the Africans. You're not even making any pretense and keeping Western ties. You're, you're with them. And uh, and it's true. I'm African. I had a, a black man here. It was a friend of mine, and everything. He was laughing what what it uh what it was like to be living amongst all the Africans. And he said he had to go over there with me sometime, and he could show me what it was really like to be an African in Africa. And I laughed at him, and I says, "You have no idea what you're talking about." I said, "I'm an African. You're not." <laughs> And uh, he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, He goes, what? And I says, I speak the language. Do you? I know the culture. Do you? I've been adopted. Have you? I said, I'm the African in the room, my brother. You're an African-American. You're a guy that comes from there. I'm a guy that's there. And I said, uh, so I'm the African. And uh, in fact, I get in trouble. People say, you keep saying we. You keep saying we. And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm part of the we over there. We have these problems. That doesn't mean I have the problem, but I'm part of the we. So when I say we have a problem with adultery in our community or we have a problem with witchcraft or we, that we as a culture, and that's, I take ownership and responsibility and accountability for for those people. I'm, I'm one of them. I know I'm in the kingdom and I'm in the church and I'm not in their pagan culture. But on another level, I am part of that culture. And that's the culture I'm trying to affect. And so anyway, that's uh, my story about how I wound up over in Africa. And uh, that's uh, my journey of uh, being a 16-year-old young boy that just got born again to here I sit today. I'm 67. I've been in Africa about 12 years and never thought I'd go. I've always said if I was going to write a book, I'd call it The Reluctant Missionary because I had no plans of being a missionary or going over there. And now I, I don't think I could ever do anything else. Isn't that how God works? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Apparently. I didn't know that. No, yeah. That's news to me. Yeah. And uh, so. The unexpected journey. Oh, yeah. Even like just multiple times you're talking about going over there on that short term mission trip and you were kind of the oddball out, like nobody would have ever expected you to be the one to be called over there for long term. And I think that's exactly who God calls. What's funny about the deal is, is that, you know, we went over there and the reason I was pushed to the last day to share was because, you know, all those other guys were going into missions. Mm -hmm. And what's so funny about the whole thing is none of them did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the one guy that we didn't think was going to go is there. Yep. One of the ladies did. Uh, I won't mention her name because she goes to Muslim countries where she mm-hmm. needs to stay a little incognito. But uh, And her and I became buddies. And in fact, she's come to Nash- uh, Nashville. She's come to um, uh, Africa and worked with me in East Africa. And uh, so anyway, she's... Uh, there were the two of us. 
By the way, we were the two older ones and the two probably less likely ones anybody would have picked out of the group. All the young men did go in the ministry, but they, they're in the ministry here in the United States, and not a one of them went over there. So, yep. anyway. That is God. Amen. Takes the most unexpected people. Perhaps the black sheep. Yep. I love it. <laughs> he is for the black sheep. What would you say is the most unexpected thing you've learned about yourself after you've been in Africa and also about the Lord? Well, it's kind of a process me learning about myself you know one thing that that one of the reasons I was always successful in in the wet in our western culture and one of the things I thought would see me through and and I don't mean this in a malicious or a malevolent way or in a self-centered way or anything like that but I realize now that a a great part of my identity and everything is is I'm a person uh, that's very driven very disciplined uh, very focused uh, and, and these things, and I've always had a higher energy level than most other people did too. So these things have always served me well. I used to joke that I got more done by, by noon than most guys did in a week. And it was true. I mean, I, I got up and, you know, it wasn't, when I lived in Nashville and, and was successful in business there in particular, it, it wasn't unusual for me to get up and run 10 miles before most guys had had, had breakfast and so as you might imagine when you get in the mission field and you go over there i bring this energy i bring this focus i bring this clarity with me everywhere i go and everything and to a certain extent you expect to for that to bear great fruit and because you love the lord and you're doing all these things for the lord uh that you know this is what reason god called you perhaps is because He's going to use all these kind of skills and stuff. And and I'm not against that kind of thinking. I believe God loves us for who we are and uses us for who we are. Uh, and my mentor was also a project manager. He's very methodical, very also high energy guy, excellent at communicating. And, and, you know, we were quite the pair. I was more of a storyteller and he was more of a an articulate, um, he'd, Put everything in a grid and everything had its place and, and, and really good at putting everything uh, in a position to where it all had a perfect function, perfect explanation, uh, analyzing things and getting everything in order. And I was good at the big narrative. And so together we were a very effective team. But we were both very driven by our higher energy levels, determination, and, and both of us had a high level of discipline. And what I found was, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. God loves discipline. God loves us to be passionate. God loves us to be um, uh, active and involved. He hates laziness. And there's all these things that, that you could say are good. So, but when I got over there, I found that much like me pursuing business in America, uh, the whole idea that you can't love God and mammon in much the same way. What I found was, is that all of my natural power, my natural attributes, uh, which are admirable in most cultures. And, and once again, I'm not trying to denigrate them. People listening may be that very kind of guy. And, and I want to speak to that kind of guy. You know, I want him to know that's, that's awesome. You're that way. It's great. And I know it served you well because diligence and hard work and, and discipline always does and God loves that kind of thing however uh, in my own personal experience 
that uh, all that will take you so far. And what God wanted to do was so far beyond what, what where that will take you. Uh, it's great to be that way and have great organizational skills and, and be a great leader by the world standards and everything. But it's really not what makes you great in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it's childlike faith. It's, uh, I would tell you that one of the biggest changes that's happened in me is that my ability to listen um, has is so radically different than when I was a younger person. And also not just to listen to each other and to listen to what people say, but to listen to what they mean when they say what they say. And also that really translated into listening to God because I have found for myself personally, I can't just listen. I have to, sh- I have to shut myself down to listen. I have to quiet myself to listen. There is a hum that business brings to our life. And the hum is so loud that you can't hear God's still small voice. The busyness of our life, this this activity that we fill our life with because we're trying to give our life meaning so we keep it busy and we keep it flooded and we keep it filled and we keep it active. Because on a lot of levels, that's what gives us our identity is because we're successful and we're good and we're hard work. I know it did me, mm-hmm. you know. I was known as being a can-do guy, make things happen. You know, we used to always say there's three kinds of people. There's people that make things happen, people that wait for things to happen, people that go, what happened? <laughs> and I never wanted to be that guy. And But in the kingdom of God, uh, at some point, even though that diligence is all still good and focus and discipline is good, that at some point we have to develop this new discipline. And this new discipline is 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 a discipline of, of, of quiet, it's a discipline of the Bible. You might, if you wanted to search for a verse, you could say, be still and know that I'm God. But also, uh, you could also say that it would be um, um, the, the fact of, uh, of just listening and just waiting on God. Um, I've never been a waiter. I never waited on God. And, and I'm a firm believer that God steers boats that are moving. You can't steer a boat that's tied up to the dock. You can move the tiller to the left or the wide, or if you're in a big boat, you can turn the wheel all you want. You, you can barely rock the boat. Uh, you have to untie and launch out, but then let God steer. And uh, But you can't steer a boat that's tied up the dock. You can only steer a boat when it's moving. So I do believe God wants us to be moving, but we, we need to move with a quiet heart, and, and it takes, uh, for me personally, I have to be very uh, specific, purposeful, and what's the word I'm looking for? I have to be very deliberate in listening and deliberate and purposefully be quiet before the Lord. And when I do, then great things happen. The childlikeness of the faith that God calls us to, that we can trust Him, that things are going to be okay, I, I I would tell you that I've gotten in situations that involve so that the problem and the danger and the conflict and the complexity and the layers to cultures is so beyond my ability 
to deal with in any kind of timely fashion, and some of these things have to be dealt with in a timely fashion, that, and you can't. In other words, the task is so far beyond you that it's absolutely hopeless. It can't be done. Mm -hmm. But that's when God shows up. And so at that point, you know, I always like what some of the brothers and sisters uh, here in America from the African community uh, used to say, and I, is they say, yeah, you get to a place and then all of a sudden when everything's hopeless, you go, but God. Mm -hmm. But then God shows up. And uh, so I would tell you that as far as Africa and everything goes, what did I learn about Glenn and what did I learn about God that was new? It's, uh, it gets back kind of like John 3. I believe it's verse 50. I could be wrong. But it's John the Baptist. And in his first, you know, everybody said, hey, Jesus is baptizing more people than you and he's got all this great fruit. And Man, what do you think, John? And John said, uh, I must decrease and he must increase. And there's such a, I can't bear the burden of bearing fruit. All I can do is be obedient and we can't be held accountable. I can't make fruit. I can't. Mm -hmm. uh, I can have the fruit of the Spirit, but that's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, any fruit or effectiveness and, 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 and any growth and, and bounty that comes from the work that we do uh, that's particularly that's going to endure. It really comes to the level that we can step back and to the level we can be more childlike and to the level we can can uh, walk with with humility and really not because we believe humility is a wonderful virtue or because we're trying to be humble. No, that's no, you don't you don't get it if you're try, you can't try to be humble or try to have humility. What you have to do is realize that. Man, God is God, and he doesn't really need a lot from you at all. And what you really want to do is, 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 is to trust him like he's your heavenly father, to know you can trust him. I mean, when Jesus says things like, don't even worry about the, the food that you eat or the clothing you wear. You realize those are the most fundamental things in life. If we don't have to worry about that, then why are we worrying about the rest as, as, as the parable says, or rather the teaching says. And so there's really nothing for us to worry about, but to not worry is, is arguably the greatest act of faith that you can have because a striving, determined, focused, disciplined, hardworking people, that's what we do. I tell people all the time, uh, to not worry is to be considered irresponsible in our culture. Mm -hmm. You're an irresponsible yeah. person if you're not worrying. And uh, but in the kingdom, to not worry is because you 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 have confidence in Him. Uh, I, I I would tell you what I've learned about God is that not only is He faithful, but He's really waiting on me. Uh, and what I learned about myself is the more I take the back seat, and, and this is hard to articulate, by the way, for me. The more I recognize that it's not about me and not about my efforts, and, and, I, and I'm afraid these words are failing me here, so forgive me, but uh, he really wants to do this, but he really wants to use us, but it's not because we he needs anything from us. It's because he wants us to join with him. He never intended to do this by himself. Mm -hmm. You know, 
he said, let us create man and give him dominion. It was always our job to do the things that God has called us to do in this earth. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that was always his will. That's not a, a new prayer. That was God's original plan was that, is that God's will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. In fact, some people believe that in the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth had come together. And in fact, if you believe in Revelations or you read Revelations 20 and 21, we don't find ourselves going to heaven to sit on clouds and play harps. We see heaven comes to earth and heaven and earth come together and dwell in the same place. In fact, in Revelations 20 and 21, not only does God walk with us, there is no temple, there is no sickness, there is no sorrow, there is no death, the curse is removed, even the tree of life is back. And so God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven is what even the kingdom is. And so that when you and I go about now doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, his kingdom has come everywhere we go, obeying the Lord. It's present in some way, not the way it'll be consummated at the end, but in some way it's actually here. And you, and so in doing that, it's, it's really yielding ourselves to what's God's will on earth. And in doing that, it's a... It's a real idea of, uh, of leaving it, uh, of trusting in him and doing his will. And, and really our job is to, is to figure out what's God's will in this situation, which is always going to be involved in loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors and treating us as we want to be treated. Jesus said the whole law is in that. So it always comes down to the way we're treating others and our love for the Lord. And as we do these things, we change everywhere we go. You know, if we if we really are the temple of the Holy Spirit, like Paul says, you know, the temple is another place where heaven and earth comes together. You know, in Jerusalem, they called the Holy of Holies. You know, you had the Ark of the Covenant. It was the footstool. I mean, that's God's spot was right there. Heaven and earth came together. In fact, in Israel's going, you know, going through the desert, there was a pillar of cloud and the fire by night. I mean, God walked among them and... Uh, in fact, that's part of the covenant that God would walk among Israel. And so as, as we have the Holy Spirit and we do God's will on earth, we're like a place where heaven and earth comes together because we love him and we worship him. And that's how we image God. You know, we are the imagers of God as we go about doing his will. In some small way, when people look at us in the church and see us doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, we're the only people modeling what it must be like to be in the kingdom of God. Uh, I love how in the book of Acts where it talks about uh, that the church assembled all together with one heart and of one soul and of one mind and not a single person had a need among them because they shared everything. And I always chuckle at that. I said, oh, it's like God's kingdom had come on earth mm -hmm. as it is in heaven. There was no need. There was no sorrow. There was no sickness and they were together and they loved each other and they were doing God's will on earth. And so sitting right there in Jerusalem, this motley crew of 120 people and evidently a bunch of widows and people that had just come to the Lord are all together. And it's like, it, they're just a church, but it's like the kingdom of God was on earth in that spot. Cause in that place, in that church and among those people, God's will was being done on earth as it is in heaven, or is the way it was always meant to be. And so I get excited about that yeah. there. Uh, God could snap his fingers, 
There'd be no sorrow. There'd be no sickness. There'd be no hungry people. There'd be no orphans and there'd be no widows. He could fix it all. But uh, um, I say all the time that um, that's our job. He gave us dominion and he wants us to do it. He wants to partner together with us to do it. He doesn't want to do it by himself. He can do it by himself. He can do it better by himself. That's not his plan. And, he did, and we could do a lot of those things. We'd muck it up for sure. But he wants us to come alongside and show us how to do that. And I'm excited to do that. You know, uh, people think a lot of times when we're working with widows or we're working with the sick or we're working with orphans and when we're going out into these poor places, we're doing somehow good works and all these kind of things. And we're really not. Um, I'm not into good works as in the way most people think about it. You know, we have a tendency to juxtapose you to make disciples and lead people to Jesus they are out doing good works as though somehow these are at odds with each other. But I don't believe they are. I, for me personally, um, uh, we're expanding the kingdom of God as we clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and preach the gospel to the poor and make disciples among the nations. They all go together. We, we're creating this situation where God's kingdom has come on earth as we obey him everywhere we go. And I'm excited to do that. And uh, it really requires this incredible partnership, which, which, which requires people like me and you realizing we don't have to worry about our food and drink. We don't have to worry about our clothing. We don't need to worry about anything. In fact, Jesus says that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all this other stuff will take care of itself. And so that's the real thing that I've learned about myself and about God is it, it's easy to say that over here and it's a great refrigerator magnet and bumper sticker. But where I'm at, I live among lepers and demon-possessed people and witch doctors. We're dying of tuberculosis. We're dying of cholera. We're dying of HIV. We're dying of typhoid. And the life expectancy is 52 years old for a man. I'm 67. And I am surrounded by everything in the gospel you see that was happening in the Bible that Jesus surrounded with is my environment. And I can tell you that as I walk through that environment that um, I can't fix any of those things. I can't repair them. I can't make them better. But uh, as we obey and do his will on earth as it is in heaven, it is astounding what's happening. We are absolutely transforming ourselves and others and the people around us as we do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's having a profound effect. It's like God knows what he's talking about. He seems like he does. <laughs> you know, I, I told somebody one time, I, they were asking what kind of evangelical method we use. And I told him Luke 10, and, he's, and, I, and I read it to him. He said, oh, that's what Jesus did with the disciples. And I, I told this guy, I said, yeah, I've decided Jesus is a genius. Yeah. <laughs> he really knows how to do these things. Yeah. And if we'll actually listen to him, he came and modeled for us what discipleship looks like. Mm -hmm. He came and modeled for us what loving others looks like. Mm -hmm. He came and modeled for us what the church is supposed to be like. And, you know, we're always trying to find the next best thing. We want mm -hmm. to study best practices. And, you know, what is this group doing or what's this new thing and we're all seeker friendly and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, I, I think we just need to pay attention to what Jesus did because I don't think he can improve on it. Yeah. And uh, I think he's the, he's the one we should be following and his example is our lead. So looking back now, looking at the businessman in Memphis in your twenties, thirties, forties, 
What would you tell that man today? It would be a tough one because I don't think he could understand. Mm. Ooh, that'll preach. You know, I, there's things I had to go through, particularly when you're talking about my 20s. You know, I, I failed everybody mm. when I fell away from God. I didn't just... It wasn't a little thing. I destroyed everything that I loved when I did that. So you couldn't tell that guy nothing. Mm. Uh, 30s, I spent the entire 30s backslidden away from God. You couldn't tell that guy nothing. Uh, It was late 40s when I finally came back to the Lord. And that guy was so wounded and so recently recovered uh, I don't know what he could have done with anything I would tell him now he was like a wounded puppy I I don't know how to describe that and then when I finally got into my 50s early 50s and began to seek the Lord in a new way in a a very diligent way you know I, I, I I think I had to go through that. I, I think I could have cut that a lot shorter if I, had I understood what the kingdom of God was really all about, had I really understood that those commands about loving each other and treating each other the way we want to be treated. I think if somehow I could have got those things to where they weren't a refrigerator magnet and a bumper sticker, maybe I, if I'd have had somebody to model for me and show me what it means to love others as yourself and treat others as you want to be treated. See, the problem is we're so knowledgeable about all these Bible verses and stuff. And we're so bankrupt for having people around us that will show us how to do it. Mm. And in fact, I, I have a lot of people that are very critical of Westerners, and, I, and I'm not. Uh, I have decided that we're almost trying to re, having to reinvent the wheel because no, what's modeled for us in this culture is I'm the most important, consumerism's the most important, my value lies in what I own and what I buy and what I have and my career and my job and my education and my family and all my values and all this other stuff and and so we're 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 sold on this value system that's a worldly value system and 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 there's almost nobody out there saying you know we've got to divorce ourselves from that value system Mm -hmm. god has a better one this this kingdom culture that we see in the sermon on the mount you know we want to dismiss the sermon on the mount and oh that was this flowery words if you'll notice in most of our bibles they even put it in the, the they'll bring the borders in so it looks like poetry in the middle of a page as though somehow it's not you know this is just some flowery words that jesus gave this some ideal that we'd aspire to that we can never attain to and i don't believe that i believe uh that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is casting this, this, uh, first of all, the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus casting the culture of the kingdom of God. In the Beatitudes, he's showing us how to be, and then in, in, in the teachings themselves, he's showing us how to act. And then uh, one brother told me one time, we got the Sermon on the Mount, and then we got the Sermon on the Move, where Jesus leaves the mountain, goes out and begins to do the very things that he taught people to do. So when I when I look at the, at the Sermon on the Mount and those teachings and things, you know, there's nobody to model them for us now. And, and, and if I were to put them in a nutshell, what we, 
had to come to, and what my own personal conclusion was, is what Jesus was trying to do with the Sermon on the Mount is what he's screaming at us. Is he's asking us to love like no one else loves, give like no one else gives, and live like no one else lives. The Sermon on the Mount is absolutely the way kingdom people are living, God's kingdom. And it's the culture of that kingdom. And Jesus has cast this vision for us to live this way. And we're so far from it. We need some people that are going to be pioneers for us and to go live live this way and love this way and serve this way and give this way so the rest of us know how to do it. And, and I'm over in Africa right now, and I, and I can tell you, I failed every way there is to fail. And what I hope is, is the next guy that comes along behind me has watched me fail all the way through here. And he says, you know, what's great about this, Glenn did this wrong, he did that wrong, and he messed up over here, and he should have done this over there. But look, it doesn't matter as long as you're listening to the Lord and you're, and you're, and you're trying to follow the Lord. It, it, you may bounce off the rails every now and then, uh, the guardrails of what God wants you to do, but you're still going down the road and you're going to accomplish the thing God wants you to accomplish. God's got this. And, uh, and all he's looking for, he wants to do it with us. You know, and it's it's not going to be perfect. God's not stupid. He didn't make any perfect people. He's he worked made guys like me and you. Mm-hmm. He loves this. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, God loves these imperfect creatures that He's made, and He's asked people that couldn't possibly perfectly be His image bearers, and that's the way He made it. Mm-hmm. So evidently, He wanted this train wreck situation that we're in and he's going to be with us and walk with us and help us do what he's called us to do and it's glorious it's amazing because in all our fragility and all our failures and in all our shortcomings we're going to win and it's going to God's going to do it get his way and accomplish his purposes and it's okay Mm -hmm. we're going to be all right and uh, so, you know, I would just want people to look at what we're doing in Africa and, what, and the train wreck of a life that I've led and say, man, if you'll just keep turning your heart to God and you'll keep, if you'll learn to be like childlike in your faith and if you'll just learn to love others and treat others you want to treat them, you're like 80% there <laughs> of doing what God wants you to do and Him accomplishing everything that He wants to accomplish in the earth. It's really so simple. Yeah. And we complicate it so much. We argue over theology and things that don't matter. And and God's got so much more for us than that. It's like the relationship with Jesus more than the religion. Yeah, and you know, and all that, all that kind of thing. He's just plagued with problems, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. But and it is a relationship. Uh, um, there's definitely uh, such an important element of it is just to be so devoted to Him and. Uh, the problem with so many of us that say that we want a relationship and it's relationship and not religion is we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and then we run off and go into things that you just want to shake your head about. It's uh, But it really is true. Man, being in right relationship with him and, and humbling ourselves before God and, 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 and being transparent to God and to others 
and and always walking in forgiveness and having mercy on the people around us that aren't like us and that are failing all around us. Even the lost that we go to, that we just have so much mercy on them. I shared with you earlier where we, we look beyond all their faults. You know, I'm frequently in an environment where people are trying to extort me or they're trying to rob me or they're trying to coerce me and through corruption and, and wrongful use of power and, and all these things. And it's so easy to get angry and frustrated and 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 you're and, and and you're justified in that. You know, you can have your righteous indignation, you know, I'm right and God says this and they won't do it and so they're wrong and all this stuff. God doesn't care about any of that, you know. God looks beyond all our faults and sees our need. And to me, the highest level of maturity that I have recently found that God wants me to walk in is to look beyond the faults of all those around me and see their need. And when I do that and respond the way God wants me to, I find I'm right where God wants me to be. And that is looking beyond all that stuff and just loving them and serving them. And uh, me decreasing and God increasing. And that's all, all that ties together. So, I love what you said. What you've learned is how to listen to God. And then going back to when you're talking about your 20s and 30s, how you, nobody could tell you anything. You know, you weren't going to listen to anybody, God or anybody. And just how God has transformed your heart in that way to go from that man to being able to listen to him and to listen to other people. Mm -hmm. um, Just to see his transformation throughout your life. And and it's strange, too, that listening to other people is listening to him so much of my Mm -hmm. life. Yep. Yeah, he definitely uses his church he to does. Uh, communicate and, uh, to us. Uh, and for me, so many of my people in my life, it's almost like everybody that's not me that's saying something. It's exactly what I need to be listening to. And I realize you got to get to this point. I'm, I'm not saying everybody needs to listen to everybody else and do yeah. what they say. But for a guy that you know is always convinced he's right, and 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 it always worked for him. To be convinced he's right. You know, he was successful that mm-hmm. way, particularly in business and athletics and things like that. But for me to always realize that there's there's these treasures hidden in everybody, uh, and that God is is he's 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 in His Word more than anything else. But He's also, if you'll listen the right way, He's just talking to you through everybody in every circumstance. Everything is screaming out. To me, uh, the purposes and and realities of God, and I mean, everyone that hates me in Africa and wants to bring me to the end. Yes, there are those that would want to see me thrown out and have tried to get me thrown out. I've been through a lot of things like that. Those people are screaming something at you, and they're just doing what they're screaming at you is is. Uh, they're in such need and such pain and they have so much fear and they've been hurt so bad they want to lash out at somebody and you can say, yeah, it's Satan's got them doing this stuff against you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what Satan does. But the other side of it is he can only do it because they're in such such a state of being lost and such a state of being hopeless and such a state of being away from God and so far from him that... You know, I never get mad at people that don't know the Lord when they treat me poorly because I realize 
you know, I expect sinners to sin. I expect thieves to steal. I expect, you know, I mean, I was, I was addicted to drugs. Guess what I wanted to do? More drugs. I mean, that's what you do. And so you can get mad at me because I was a drug addict, or you could say this guy's broken and without God. And that's what happens to people that are broken and living without God. And the answer isn't fixing or the answer isn't denigrating my being a drug addict. The answer is Jesus. And there ain't no fixing Glenn until you fix this thing in Glenn where he's not with God and he's not walking the way God wants him to walk. There's no cure. I mean, there, there's no cure. You, you've you got to die and be born again. There's no cure to being a human. You know, we're, we're just, you know, we're in this terrible deprived state. All of creation is, is, is in a terrible corrupted state right now. And the, and the answer lies in the Lord. And I am so excited to be a part of those that have good news. Yeah. Is that in my very limited way, I, I can... Uh, bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I do it when I tell people I love them, and I do it when I tell people God loves them. We're doing it right here. We're going to tell people about Jesus and how that uh, we need Him, and and that because of Him we can do do amazing things. And uh, so you and I are sitting here in my mom's library, and uh, we're doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven to the best that we know, and that's all He wants. Yeah. And uh, his kingdom is going to be expanded as a direct result of this because we're we're just two people trying to find what God wants us to do and, and we're doing what God's called us to do at this moment. And that's really what, what God wants us to do. So yeah. I know we're sitting here in the middle of God's will today, <laughs> just loving him and getting a chance to tell others about it. So For sure. Is there anything else before we close that you want to share? Let, let me look at the notes I made and see if there was anything I put on here that I wanted to share. Also, can you pray in Swahili? I can. When we close out, um, I think it'd be cool for you to pray. I will do so. If it's okay with you, I, my favorite thing to do is pray is in obedience to the Lord, and that's the Lord's prayer, if that's okay. Absolutely. Take All it right. away. All right, we'll do it. <laughs> Lafanike duniana kamam binguni utupe leo makato wetu wakilisiku utusumehe makosea kamanazi vio wasamehe waliotu makosea usituti e katika kishiwishi lakini otuopue mavuni kwa kuol famewake na nguvu na utukufu hatamalele amina amen thank you so much thank you for having Thank you so much for listening to part two. I'm so grateful for Glenn's vulnerability and willingness to share how the Lord has worked in the unexpected calling on his life. I pray you'll know the God who has orchestrated Glenn's story and who has radically changed his heart is available and willing to do the same for me and you. Tune in next week for the unexpected diagnosis. Go fully live out your story and we'll see y'all back next week.